Hey, everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So glad that you're here. Uh, welcome those of you who are worshiping over in East Hall, those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. I just want to tell you again how much I uh, love you guys and how much I love this church. I hope you love this church too. But thanks for being here. I'm glad you're here. We are in a, an eight-week series on the book of Hebrews. We're calling Hebrews Together. And the whole purpose of this series is to focus on Jesus. We want to focus on Jesus. Last weekend, uh, we were looking at Hebrews chapter 3, and I drew attention to a, a phrase. And the phrase was, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Later on in the week, I was checking my Instagram, and I follow CCC. And this popped up on my Instagram, and I want to show it to you. And I love that. And I was so grateful for that. I was grateful for our team that put that, put that up on social media because it, it made me stop and consider Jesus. Consider Jesus means to stop and think about him, to look at him. You know, I drive the same way to the church every day. Drive the same way, which means I don't see anything anymore. I don't notice anything. I use that time to think about other things. And that may be true of you as you drive to work. It's so easy to do that with Jesus. The longer you are a Christian, the more danger you are in of putting Jesus in the background and then beginning to think about other things and worry about other things. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were going through a difficult time. They were suffering. And what's interesting is that Hebrews doesn't give a list of strategies on what to do when life gets hard. It doesn't give you a strategy for what to do when your work gets hard or when your home gets hard or when school gets hard. What it does is give a single secret to when life gets hard. And that single secret is Jesus, to fix your eyes on him. So that's what we are doing these eight weeks. And we're doing it by uh, preaching through a series we're calling Greater Than. Uh, because what Hebrews does to help us consider Jesus, it compares Jesus to a bunch of different things. And it shows how Jesus is greater than anyone and anything. The first week we looked at how Jesus was greater than prophets. Then we looked at how Jesus was greater than angels. And then last week how Jesus is greater than Moses. And this week we're going to look at how Jesus is greater than you. How Jesus is greater than you. Right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, then it's gonna, the Scripture is going to pop up on the screen. But let me read it. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, and I'll read through verse 16. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account." Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast 
our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's word. We've been using the same template. You know, I always have three points, and we've been using the same template for the first three messages. And the template is this, why, why Moses is great, why Jesus is greater, why that's great news. Why angels are great, why Jesus is greater, why that's great news. I'm going to change that a little bit this morning. And the first point, my first point is, why you're not so great. Uh, sorry. Why Jesus is greater, why that's great news. Why you're not so great, why Jesus is greater, and why that's great news. First, why you're not so great. I could have said why you don't feel so great. You know, that passage that I just read was about rest. In fact, the whole chapter 4 is all about rest, a particular kind of rest, what is called Sabbath rest. The last week, I told you one of the reasons that Moses was great is he could tell people what God was like and what God wanted. And Moses was most famous for going up a mountain called Mount Sinai and coming down with what is called the Ten Commandments from God. And out of those Ten Commandments, the most interesting one to me is the Fourth Commandment, which is the one about the Sabbath. And the commandment about the Sabbath is just this. One day a week, you're to do no work. You're to spend that one day doing two things, resting and worshiping. Resting and worshiping. The reason that is interesting to me is that all the other commandments make sense to me. Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat on your spouse, don't commit murder. And then there's this one right in the middle that says, oh, and remember to take a day off. And that just seems odd to me. And this is why, think of any list of rules. Rules that you have at work, rules that you might have at home, even rules that are listed at a swimming pool. Why do you have a list of rules? Why are there rules? The reason that we have rules, there are two reasons why we might have a list of rules. One is to encourage behavior that does not come naturally. That's one reason we have rules, to encourage behavior that doesn't come naturally, like put your dirty clothes in the hamper. I don't know why that doesn't come naturally. It just doesn't, which is why you have to make a rule for your kids or for your husband to say, listen, when you Take off your dirty clothes. Don't leave them on the floor. Put them in the hamper. It's a rule, right? The other reason we have rules is to discourage behavior that does come naturally that you want to stop, like uh, running around a swimming pool. I don't know why that's a behavior that kids can't stop doing. Like at my age, I have no inclination to run around a swimming pool. I don't see a swimming pool and go, oh, I want to run. But when I was a kid... You couldn't stop me from running around a swimming pool. And that's why swimming pool has a list of rules, and one of them is don't run. Don't run. So Moses comes down with ten rules, ten commandments from God, and one of those rules is about rest. The ten commandments are hard to keep. They're impossible to keep. I mean, you make a rule. Because the behavior doesn't come naturally. So the question is this. Why is rest 
hard for you? Why do you have difficulty resting? Why is it not a natural thing for a human being to be able to spend one day not working, one day just resting and worshiping? Let's look at Moses and the Israelites. When Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he's coming to a people who had just come out of Egypt, and they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, which meant that slavery was all they knew. All their friends were slaves. Their parents had been slaves. Their grandparents had been slaves. Their great-grandparents had been slaves. And this is the thing. For a slave, a slave's worth was connected to work. Right? If you were a slave, your worth as a human being was connected to your productivity. And God, in amazing graciousness, says to those people who were former slaves, listen, one day a week, this is the rule, one day a week, I want you to remind yourself that you're no longer a slave, and this is the way you're going to do it. You're going to not work. Instead, you're going to rest and worship. Because I want you to remind yourself that your worth is not connected to what you do. Your worth is connected to whose you are. And you are mine. You're mine. How awesome is that? And how incredible that God would do that. Here's the thing. That was Moses. By Jesus' time, by Jesus' time, there are 600 rules connected to keeping the Sabbath. A list of 600 rules to try to help people not work and instead rest and worship. And you only make rules for behavior that doesn't come naturally. And the question is, what is our problem with rest? What is our problem with rest? You know, there's a great phrase in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to get to it in two weeks. And that phrase is the phrase, dead works dead works. It's kind of a theme throughout the New Testament, but a dead work is a work that doesn't work. It's a work that you do that doesn't accomplish what you want it to accomplish. It's like food with no nutritional value. doesn't do what food is supposed to do. I want you to imagine like, like treading water in a swimming pool right, where your feet can't touch the bottom, and so you're treading water, treading water, and if you want to have rest, at some point you have to move get something to move you to the shallower part of the pool so your feet can touch. And if you, once your feet are on solid ground, then you can quit treading water and you can rest. This is the truth. There is a question inside of every human heart. There's a question inside of your heart and a question inside of my heart. It's a haunting question. It's a question you have been trying to answer your entire life, whether you realize it or not. And this is the question. You ready? This is the question. Am I good enough? That's it. Am I good enough? You want to know why you have trouble resting? Why every human being has trouble resting? It's because every human being is trying to answer that question. And dead works are the things that we do that we want to, that we think will answer that question, but they never get us on solid ground. They never work. Being a great mom, like you think, if I could only be a great mom, that would prove, I would prove to myself that I'm good enough. If I could only 
be successful, if I could only get that promotion, if I could only make partner, if I could only make the team, if I could only make straight A's, if I could only go to church, if I could only read the Bible, if I could only keep the Sabbath, if I could only please my dad, then I could prove that I am good enough and nothing works to get us to that solid ground. You want to know why people in the Old Testament struggled with keeping the Sabbath? You want to know why you struggle to rest? Why you feel guilty if you're not doing something productive? It's because of that question, and you have been trying to answer that question, am I good enough? And you haven't found a way to get yourself to solid ground. And that's why you're not so great. That's why you don't feel so great. So then we get to the second point, why Jesus is greater. This is verse 14 and 15. It says, since then we have a a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews connects our ability to rest with Jesus being our high priest. Now next week, I'm going to talk more about Jesus being a high priest, and I'm going to come at it from a different angle. You know, uh, I know that last week I promised to explain to you why if you try to read the Bible from beginning to end, and you start in Genesis with this great goal to finish to go all the way through the book of Revelation, by the end of the year, you quit in the middle of Leviticus because all of a sudden you just get lost. And I promised last week I would explain that. I'm actually going to explain that next week when we talk about Jesus, high priest, part two. And I promise I will make sense of Leviticus and help you to understand it. But here, Hebrews connects Jesus as being our high priest to rest. And it actually compares us to Jesus and Jesus to us. Do you see what it said? It said Jesus sympathizes with us, that he is tempted in every way just as you are, which means that he is like you and yet without sin, which means he is unlike you. And Jesus needed to be both if he's going to serve as high priest, and this is why. In the Old Testament, a priest wasn't like a preacher. A priest didn't speak to people and preach to people like I'm doing. Instead, a priest would turn his back to the people and he would speak to God for the people. He wouldn't speak to the people, he'd speak for the people to God. Which means that if he was going to speak for the people, he would have to understand the people. He'd have to walk in their shoes, he'd have to bear their burdens. He'd have to be like them. But it also means if he's going to stand between the people and God, he has to be different from them as well. He has to be like them and unlike them. There's a verse that we uh, read at Christmas time about Jesus, and I love this verse. It's from Isaiah chapter 9. It's one of my favorite Christmas kind of verses. This is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When it calls Jesus a Wonderful Counselor, what does it mean? 
What do you need to do to be a wonderful counselor? A wonderful counselor has to be able to empathize with a client. They have to be able to feel what that client feels, to be able to uh, sympathize, empathize with that client. They need to be like that client. But they also need to be different if they're going to be a wonderful counselor, if they're going to be able to help them. Let's go back to the analogy of treading water. If you're treading water and you need rest, you need someone to get in the water with you. But if all they can do is tread water next to you, they can't really help you. But if they get in the water with you and their feet are on something solid, well, then they can help you. Then they can be a wonderful counselor. Scripture says that Jesus is like you. And it says that Jesus can sympathize with you because he's been tempted in every way just as you are. That word tempted is a word that makes us think about being tempted to sin and being restricted to that. But the word is actually a broader word than that. It would be better for you to think of it as the word endure. That Jesus has endured everything that you've had to endure. I know some of you might think, you know what, I don't know if that's true. Because Jesus never experienced uh, a miscarriage. Jesus never experienced losing a spouse. Jesus never experienced losing a child. Jesus never got cancer. What do you mean that Jesus has endured everything that I've endured? Well, there are two parts to an experience. There's an external part of the experience, which is different for every human being. But there's an internal part of an experience. The way something hits your soul, right? And, and that disappointment, the, the bitter disappointment to have a feeling of alienation, to have crushing loneliness, to feel like you're abandoned by God. Oh, Jesus felt all of those things. He endured what experiences cause your soul to endure. Jesus endured every part of that and even more. Jesus is in the water with you. There's a story in John chapter 11 where Jesus goes to raise Lazarus, a man named Lazarus, from the dead. Twice he breaks down and sobs. He weeps. And he weeps for Mary and Martha, the, the sisters of Lazarus. And he weeps for them because he feels what they feel. He's in the water with them. He's in the water with you. But just because he's in the water with you doesn't mean he can help you. He has to both be like you and unlike you. And in this passage, it says that he is tempted in every way just as you are, yet without sin. That means that Jesus had no dead works. Jesus was never haunted by the question, am I good enough? He never spent time trying to compare himself favorably to other people or push other people down or judge other people. He never thought about needing to be successful or needing to please somebody in order to feel good about himself. Jesus' feet were on solid ground. And this is what I want you to get. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a great mom. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful or wanting to become partner or wanting to be good. But what happens when you fail? What happens when you begin to sink? What this passage says is that Jesus is in the water with you. And that when you begin to fail, Jesus will grab you and hold you and remind you your worth is not determined by what you do, 
but your worth is determined by whose you are, and you are mine. You are mine. That's why Jesus is greater. So the first point is why you're not so great or why you don't feel so great. The second point is why Jesus is greater. And then finally, why that's great news. Why that's great news. Verse 16 says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are three uh, phrases in that verse that I love. One is with confidence. The second phrase is receive mercy. And the third phrase is find grace. With confidence, receive mercy, find grace. Hebrews connects Jesus as being our high priest to our ability to rest. And he says that when we are connected to Jesus as our high priest, we will be filled with confidence, mercy, and grace. First, let's talk about confidence. Uh, My daughter Becca just got married this summer. And she and her new husband, Sean, told me this story after their wedding. That the first time Becca brought Sean home to meet my wife, Karen, and myself, that right before they arrived, she turned to Sean and she said, oh, listen, Sean, I need to let you know this. You're about to meet my dad, and he's pretty intense, right? And then she said, uh, but you need to be yourself because if he thinks you're just trying to impress him, he'll sniff that out, and that won't go well. And then she ended by saying, oh, and you should know, he's the most important man in my life, so this is kind of make or, or break for you, so do well. <laughs> and as a dad, I got to tell you, I love that, love that. But poor Sean, right? You imagine if that's the way Jesus did it with us. You imagine if that's the way Jesus did it with you. That before you would go to the throne of God, Jesus would take you aside and say, oh, before you go to my father, I need to tell you something about my father. He's pretty intense. He's like a consuming fire. But you need to just be yourself because he'll be able to sniff out if you're trying to impress him, and that won't go well. And you should know, too, this is make or break for you. So do well. Can you imagine? But that's not what Jesus does. Right? Jesus is our high priest. says, I know what it's like to be you. I'm in the water with you, but I'm not like you. My feet are on solid ground, and I have you. And I'm with you, and I will go with you to God the Father, to the throne of grace, so you can have confidence because you are with me. And then it says to receive mercy, receive mercy. You know, there's a subjective part to that question, am I good enough? It's a question we ask ourselves, am I good enough for me? Am I good enough for what I want? You know, you can't answer that question. You can't look in a mirror and keep telling yourself, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, and convince yourself that doesn't work. You need someone else to tell you that you're good enough. You need someone else to give you that mercy. And Jesus does. Jesus comes to you and he says, I love you already. I love you already. You don't have to keep trying. You don't have to keep performing. You don't have to keep producing. I love you. There's a story in Luke chapter 10 about Mary and Martha. They're having Jesus over for dinner. And uh, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet 
She couldn't pull herself away. She was just looking. She was considering Jesus, right? She was thinking about him, uh, listening to him, looking at him. And Martha was doing all the dinner preparations by herself. She was fixing dinner. She was trying to set the table. And you can just imagine what it was like for her. You can see her with her apron tied around her waist, with her hair slowly getting disheveled with beads of perspiration on her forehead. She gets tired of trying to get her sister's attention by going, get in here, right? Help me. And she finally says to Jesus, Jesus, would you just please tell Mary to help me? You know what Jesus says to Martha? He says, oh, Martha, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you trying to be so busy? Why are you making dinner in the first place? Your sister Mary has received mercy, so she's at rest right here. Why don't you come be with her? Know that I already love you. It's not dependent on how good dinner is. It's dependent on me for you. And you have my heart already. And then finally, it says we can find grace. Find grace like there's a subjective part to that question. Am I good enough for me? There's also an objective part to that question. Am I good enough for God? Right? Am I good enough for God? And this is what we're going to talk about this more next week. But what Jesus says to you as you go to the throne of grace, to the throne of God, Jesus says, listen, when God asks you, what makes you think you are good enough for me? Jesus says to you, let me answer that. I will answer for you. And this is what Jesus says as your high priest. He says to God the Father, I am good enough. I am the only one that has been good enough. But I want you to know that I have exchanged my life for her life, my life for his life. So that when he comes to you, when she comes to you, they come to you as good enough because they have my life instead of their own, and I've taken theirs to the cross. That's what it means. The Hebrews promises to take us on a journey from weariness to rest, from alienation to the very presence of God, from isolation to community. And the only way to take that journey is Jesus. So if you are here today and you need rest for your weary soul, you can come to Jesus. Jesus is a high priest who is like you, but unlike you in exactly the right way. He holds you and can tell you this. Your worth is no longer dependent on what you do. Your worth is dependent on whose you are, and you are mine. So you can find rest in Jesus because Jesus is greater than you. Consider Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you, and I am so grateful. You know uh, that I struggle with rest sometimes, and I need to be reminded. And I pray that uh, if there are people here that are like me that need to be reminded, that you would remind them today that we can find rest only in you. And everything else is a dead work to try to answer the question, am I good enough? You're the only one that can make us good enough for ourselves and for God. Thank you for the work that you did on the cross. Thank you for 
resurrecting with power and glory. Thanks for being a wonderful Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.